Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. We're uh, reading Hebrews 8, 6 through 13 this morning. So it says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding a fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind, and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, and from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we're coming to you this morning expecting something new. You're not the God of just the same old, same old. You're the God who makes all things new, who gives new strength to the weak. You put a new heart in our lives, God. So we come to you this morning inviting that new work. We don't want to settle, God, for the same old, same old. We don't want to be stuck in the old when you've called us into the new. So Holy Spirit, would you make all things new this morning in our lives as we're here in your presence That's why we're presenting ourselves to you. We haven't gathered. We're not seated here to hear from Andrew and whatever intelligent things he's going to try to say. Lord, nor am I here to simply speak and proclaim. We're here, God, to encounter you. I'm here to be filled with your spirit. So, God, would you use me? That's just what I ask. Holy Spirit, Come and speak to us. God, would you speak to us in a personal, life-changing way as we're here in your presence this morning with your word open. We open our hearts as well. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can take your seat. All right. Well, as I mentioned, just before David's reading there, Um, We are in the middle of a little New Year mini-series for the month of January that we've entitled All Things New. The typical norm for us as a church is to walk through different books of the Bible. In fact, we just finished the year uh, going through the Gospel of Mark. Coming February, we're going to be diving into the book of Ephesians. Really excited about that. But time to time, we'll stop and we'll look at different biblical themes, different big ideas that the Bible has to communicate to us. And that's what we're starting the year off here uh, with this series, All Things New. How Jesus leads us out of the old 
and into the new. We're, we're basically saying this is one of the main things that Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, this is one of the main things he came to do for you and me, for humanity, was to bring us, to bring people from the old to the new. And it's perfect timing to do this, right? Our culture yeah, at a new year um, displays this like desire for the new. Our culture loves all things new, right? So like that old iPhone you got, couple months ago, right, is like going to be replaced by something new very shortly. There's always a newer version of that new thing you got, and we're just drawn to that. That's why marketing campaigns that have the words new in them just suck us right in, um, especially things also like a new year. There's something about a new year. We talked about last week, like there's not anything magical in January 1st. You, know, you have the same job, live in the same house with the same family, like I hate to say it, but it's not a new year, new you. You're you still. But there's something to the fact of like a whole new 365. I got a whole new year. I'll jump on that. I'll resolve around that. There's just something about our culture and really I think humanity's heart that's drawn to the new. What we would understand as Christians is ultimately that's a longing for God. Are you listening? Ultimately, that interest in the new is a longing for God himself. This is one of the main ways that God is revealed in Scripture, as, as someone who has the ability to make all things new. Things get old, but God makes them new again. He just has this special ability to infuse life and newness into what's grown old. We see this most clearly in the person of Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old things have passed away. Paul says, behold, all things have become new. We looked at Revelation. There's a day coming where everything as we see it will not be as it is, but God will make all things new. Things will be restored and rightly placed. And so each week what we're doing is kind of exploring how Jesus leads us into that. If Jesus is about new things, we don't want to be stuck in old things. Amen? Let me say that again. Think about this. If Jesus is about new things in our lives, we don't want to settle for old things. We don't want to be stuck in old things. We want to follow him where he wants to lead us into the new. And so last week we started with kind of like a simple new year kind of theme. Like Jesus is leading us into a new year. And each week we'll look at kind of a new thing that Jesus is leading us into. And, and this morning, you can go ahead and jot this down. We're looking at this idea of a new covenant. A new covenant. How Jesus leads us out of an old covenant, we see it there in Hebrews, into a new covenant. This is such an important theme of the Bible that your Bible is broken up into two parts, the old and the new covenant or testament. This is the central theme of the scriptures, but as I might assume, most of us are not familiar so much with this word. Like covenant is not a common, you know, word in our lexicon. It's not norm to our vocabulary. We don't go to AT&T and we're like, hey, I really like your phones. I'm thinking about making a covenant with you, all right? As long as the price is right. No, we, we think more in terms of contract and agreements in, in that regard. In, in fact, we've even taken things like marriage that's designed to be a covenant and we've made it a contract. As long as you put up your end of the bargain, as long as then I will be faithful to you. But that, that's kind of what we've done in culture. But covenant, listen, 
is not just an important word. It is a central word to relationship with God. Understanding covenant is central to us understanding not just a few verses in the Bible, but the whole narrative of the Bible. Um, covenant. Now, generally speaking, a covenant is simply this, and I'm going to expound on it from a biblical terms. but a, a general covenant is a binding agreement between two parties, a binding agreement between two parties that has its own terms and conditions, okay? Um, you see this in marriage. It's a binding agreement. It's an inseparable binding agreement. And you see this in Scripture between God and man. Something that, This is just something that God seems to be into. You open the Bible, like even the first few pages, God is making this covenant with mankind. He's getting into these binding agreements with humanity. Another word for it is like partnerships that's based on certain terms. Um, Wayne Grudem, I'm going to give you kind of the, the technical theological definition, and I'm going to give you your high school educated pastor definition of it, okay? Wayne Grudem says in, the, in his uh, incredible work, Systematic Theology, he says, in a basic terms, a covenant with God is an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of their relationship, okay? Kind of the simpler version of that is, it's the terms of our relationship with God as defined by God. We get this, right? So here's like, for those of you who are like, I don't even need to pay attention to that little pastor words, you know, this is where I'm at. Okay, that's for you. That's the technical one. And for those of you who are like, what's a, what's a stipulation? Here you go. Here you go. All right? That's me down there. The terms of man's relationship with God as defined by God. The key phrase there in Wayne Groom's definition is it's a divinely imposed legal agreement. In other words, this is saying that mankind doesn't get the freedom to define the terms of their relationship with God. We don't get to set the terms. And this is what's very, by the way, this is important to say because this is so popular, isn't it? It's not a religion, man. It's a relationship. I just have my own relationship on my own terms. The Bible has a word for relationship with God on your terms. It's the word rebellion. That's hard, but that's true. This is what's gone wrong with our race since the beginning of time. We want relationship with God on our own terms. According to our rules and our conditions and that's just not how it works. You see, God is the one who sets the terms of his relationship with man. And let me say this. Actually, you want him setting the terms. When you really see what he's promising, which is more than anything we could promise to him, right? God doesn't get very much out of the deal. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Lord, you really want to, you sure? Let's negotiate. We don't want to negotiate the terms of our relationship with God. We want exactly what God has for us as defined by him. So, so that's a covenant in the Bible. And you see, all throughout the Bible, you see God making these agreements with people, with humanity. Here's some of the most famous covenants in Scripture. You see, God makes a covenant with Adam about the, the world itself and what their partnership is going to look like as they unite together to carry forward the, the potential of the earth for human flourishing in his glory. You see, then God makes a covenant with Noah this is the covenant God makes with Noah after the earth is cleansed of its wickedness. God, with this whole new family, God makes a covenant with Noah, and it's, it's called a um, unilateral covenant. There's two kinds of covenants. There's bilateral and unilateral. Bilateral is like we both put up our end of the bargain. Unilateral is a covenant where God's like, it's all me. It has, this has nothing to do with you, Noah. I, I'm going to make a covenant that I'm never going to flood the earth again. 
Uh, and that's the covenant that God makes with Noah. Of course, Abraham is, is the father of faith. And he could be like, in a lot of ways, the father of covenant. Because he's the one through which God chose to bless all the nations of the earth. God made an incredible covenant with Abraham that ultimately led to the arrival of Messiah. We know God makes a covenant through Moses with his people contained in the Torah that sets the terms and the conditions of their relationship with God and how they exist to be a people partnering with him to bring his glory to the nations around them to show what God is like. And then David is a really beautiful one. 2 Samuel 7, God makes a covenant with David where God promises David that through his seed, he's going to have a son who's going to establish God's kingdom forever, an everlasting kingdom. And this is what's said about Jesus when he arrives on the scene in Matthew. So you get the idea, right? A bunch of people whom God initiated an agreement with on the basis of his own terms, and they're rooted in God's promises. Now, this morning we're talking about this thing called a new covenant. Now, it's really important that we understand that when the writer of Hebrews and Jesus himself talks about Jesus being the one who brings us a new covenant. Okay, that's what scripture teaches. That G Jesus came to earth, and one of the most important things that he did is he established a new covenant, check this out, with all people and God. This is God's covenant to people. This is what God promises for those that will come to Jesus. Jesus establishes a new covenant. Now, it's important to know that the, the idea of it being new, that's what Hebrews is, is describing, this new covenant. It's not like new as in another new covenant. Are you with me? Like there's been this long list of covenants. It's like, oh, a new, oh, did you hear the new covenant came out? Have you got it yet? The new covenant just came out. All right. Like some new iPhone, some new upgrade. Jesus here in, in, in Hebrews, the new covenant that he's bringing is not just some additional covenant on this long list of covenants, but Hebrews is specifically contrasting Jesus' covenant. The new is contrasted with the old. That's the categories. An old covenant and a new covenant. Another way to say this is an old way to relate to God, an old kind of relationship with God, an old system, an old agreement, and a new one. A new one that comes through Jesus. That old covenant that Hebrews is describing, as you might already know, is the covenant that God made through Moses to his people Israel. It was a covenant of how they as a people would relate to them, would relate to God. And, and we all know how that covenant went. It didn't go so well. In fact, what Hebrews says about that covenant is that the first covenant wasn't faultless. If it were, would have been faultless, that, that relationship, there wouldn't be a need for a new one. Uh, but as it goes on to say, God found fault with his people, saying, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, where i got to make a whole new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. The, the, the Bible says about the old covenant that there, there, there was fault to it, not because the covenant itself was unholy. Do we know this? The law is what? It is holy. David's like, the Torah? Man, that, that, is, that is my delight, pure and holy. But Paul says what the law could not do because it was weak through sin, Jesus did. We get this. The problem with the old covenant isn't the covenant, it's us. The problem with the old system of relationship to God 
is not the covenant itself or God himself. It's the ones that fail to keep it. I'm not even talking about like New Year's resolutions. I'm talking about basic covenant faithfulness to God. Uh, And by the way, this is the story of the Old Testament. God being faithful to make promises to his people, God's people perpetually being unfaithful to him. You feel like that's your life sometimes? Like, welcome to the story of humanity. This is just what it's like. And what's amazing, even before the new covenant comes along, is you have God constantly faithful to pursue them and establish covenants with them. All right, he's like, okay, didn't work through the whole Noah thing. Okay, we'll go Abraham. We're going to go through Moses. I mean, just his faithfulness to remain faithful to them. Uh, here is, in, in Hebrews, the passage we read, we see that Jesus comes to bring a whole new covenant. Um, as we saw there, it was a fault, faulty covenant. Uh, and I no- noticed this, that there was a need for a new covenant. That's what, what God said, even to his people in Israel. He said, the days are coming where I'm going to make a new covenant with you. This isn't working. You need something new. You need something new. You need a new way to relate to me. Uh, and so God promised this, even through the prophet Jeremiah in the times of Israel. And what Hebrews is saying is that promise has been fulfilled by Jesus. So Jeremiah promises a new covenant. Covenant. Listen closely. When Jesus comes to earth, Jesus is the fulfillment of the old, and he comes in to establish the new. This is really important. When Jesus comes on the scene, a lot of people want, like, are wondering, like, what is Jesus' relationship to the old covenant? How does he feel about it? Because a lot of what he's teaching, it seems to super, supersede Moses. He, Jesus is kind of, he's saying things like, you have heard it said, but I say to you. So it's like, Jesus, you're giving your own commentary on Deuteronomy, on the law. How do you feel about the Torah? How do you feel about the law? And Jesus goes, I didn't come to abolish the Torah. To just say, Psh. Jesus says, I came to fulfill it. I came to do with the Torah what humans have failed to do. Keep it. I come to be the sinless son of God that fulfills the Torah. And in fulfilling the Torah, I now make way for a new covenant. Okay, you with me, right? This is a lot of, a lot of covenant words here, but we're getting somewhere. This is what Jesus comes to do. That's why Hebrews says this about Jesus. We read this. It says, Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry than Moses and the priests of the Old Testament inasmuch as he is a mediator of a better covenant. This new one's a better one because, listen, look at this, it's established on better promises. God made some great promises to Israel in light of their faithfulness, but that can't compare to the new covenant. This is what Jesus comes to give. In fact, I want you to notice what, what it says in Hebrews 10.1. In Hebrews 10.1, and it's also repeated in Colossians, the Bible actually says that that old covenant was a shadow. It was the shadow of the substance that Jesus would bring. Uh, Paul says it was a tutor. I love that. You ever needed a tutor? It's like, I need more than the class, okay? I need that one-on-one time. I need someone to coach me and take me where I need to go. That's what the law is meant to do, to be a tutor, a shadow that leads us to a greater Substance. Why is this so important that Jesus comes to fulfill the new or the old and establish the new? At this time, the author of Hebrews is writing to new covenant Christians. That's what we are. We know this, right? We are new covenant Christians. We are Christians that relate to God in a whole new system through Jesus. 
And what Paul was finding in the, in the, the system of the church, in the lives of these new covenant Christians, is that they still had this residue of old covenant living. It's like when you get a new iPhone, all right, but you don't update the operating system. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe it's the other way around. It's like you get a new iPhone, you can't have an old operating system. I mean, the way Jesus said it is like you can't put new wine in old wineskins. Are you following? The new and the old, they're not compatible. They're not compatible. But there's a tendency for humans to still kind of fall back into performance, to still kind of fall back on the old. There's some security I can give to if my relationship with God is based on my performance. I'm just tempted towards that. You know what I mean? You ever been tempted towards that? It's like I just I can kind of control that a little bit more. I can sort of measure myself, and I can measure myself against others. So that, that's what was happening in this church. They were living in an old covenant, and, and the author of Hebrews is like, what are you doing settling for the old when Jesus has come to lead you into the new? What are you doing? What are you doing with that old wineskin, that old system? He'll, he'll go on to say this. In that he says a new covenant, here's what he says. He's made the first, that shadow, obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old, and it's ready to vanish away. That old way of relating to God, he's like, it's got to vanish away. It's not able to do for you what Christ can do for you, what Christ has come to do for you. And he starts to see the, the remnants of that old operating system continue. You know, it's really sad, too. It's like, by the way, the old covenant system is beautiful. By the way, as a church, we study the Old Testament, don't we? The Old Testament's all about Jesus. When Jesus resurrects from the dead and he's, he's doing a Bible study with his disciples, talk about like a small group you want to join, right? Like Jesus is walking them through the Torah, the Psalms, and the prophets. And he's like, man, look, at that's me right there. The Torah is just a beautiful picture of Jesus. I think of Tom and Lynn, the incredible Seder dinner that you led us through last year that just showed us Jesus there at the Passover meal. So, so we, we, we see Christ in the Old Testament, but we don't live under the Old Covenant, we move to the new. I'm beating this dead horse because I think a lot of us, we have a lot of residue of some sort of old covenant thinking in our relationship with God. Not that we're first century Jews who have come to Jesus. Most of us are Gentiles. Most of us. But still, there can be such a tendency, even when we approach the Bible, when we approach our knowledge of God through his word, to do really lazy Bible interpretation. And when you read something, you, you can read it like you're in the covenant of the time that it's in. This is so important for us as followers of Jesus, not to have relationship with the shadow, but the substance. You know, say you were, you were trying to engage with me in relationship, but this would never happen. This is a very awkward situation, but I'm going to create an illustration for the sake of hopefully helping us. And in the situation, you, you approach me, and I'm behind a wall. That's where I hang out usually. So... You can't see me, you hear me, but then you look over and the way the sun's reflecting and you see my shadow. And I'm like, in the shadow, Peter Pan style, right? And now, if you're talking to me through the wall, you might kind of talk to my shadow because you're like, okay, there he is, right? Now, imagine if I came out from behind the wall and you remained engaging with my shadow. Wouldn't that be weird? Why would you engage with the shadow when the substance is here? This is what Paul's getting at. Christians, here's Hebrews, followers of Jesus who are under the new covenant, come all the way into Jesus. 
Don't come sort of into Jesus. Don't come into Jesus and bring your old stuff with you. Check it at the door. Come all the way into Jesus. Come all the way in to the old covenant. Why? It's so much better. It's so much better. It's established on better promises. It's got a better Moses, a better deliverer, a better David, a better Abraham. His name is Jesus. So, so the author of Hebrews is really trying to get his people, listen closely, to follow Jesus out of the old into this new covenant. Now, Hebrews lays out what that covenant looks like. Here's what it says. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So this is what we're talking about. Jesus is leading us into this, out of an old system into a new. Here's what it says. The nature of this new covenant has three descriptors. One, here's the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel in those days. One, I will put my laws in their mind, and I will write them on their hearts. Two, I will be their God. They will be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Three, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord. And their sins and lawless deeds, listen closely, we're going to learn past, present, future. Past, present, future, sins and lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Does that sound good to anyone? Does that sound like something that makes you want to give your whole life to Jesus for? Like, I'll have that, Lord. You know, it's a a wonder why so many people aren't signing up to follow Jesus, because what are they being sold? Fix your life. Do better. We've packaged Jesus with so much old covenant thinking. It's no wonder people give up on the church before they even get to hear the love of Christ, before they get to even hear about the good news. Like, to me, this is good news. This is gospel. This is the kind of thing that makes you go, I'm a sinner. Here I am. I'll take that. I'll receive all that Jesus has done for me. Now, let's go back through this, and I want to go backwards, okay? Now, in terms of, like, all the rules of exposition, I've I've really already just broken all of them. I mean, we read 6 through 13. I started in 7, went to 8, went back to 6, jumped down to 13. We just read uh, 9 through 12, and now we're going to go back through 12, 11, 10, and 9. Okay. You're like, wow, this this has been a fun ride so far. Let's uh, strap in. Okay. Three ways that Jesus in this text leads us out of the old covenant into the new. Here's what the new covenant looks like in your life today. The first, we saw it there, is Jesus wants to lead us out of work, from work to rest. This is good news for those of us who are tired and burnt out today on religion. I have good news for you. Those demands, those religious demands that are weighing down in your life, they're not from the new covenant. They're not from Jesus. Jesus wants to lead his people from work. He wants to lead us from work to rest. He establishes this promise in the new covenant, this this truth that we could rest in. God says, I, in the new covenant, will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Here's the promise, forgiveness, mercy. Now, this is a contrast to the old covenant. The Old Covenant was, in its very essence, a covenant of works. A covenant of works. You work for favor of God. You work for your right standing with God. You work for your relationship with God. You work for your salvation 
by working off your sin. You ever tried to work off your sin? Hey, that was a bad week, Lord. I'm going to spend two hours with you tomorrow morning, you know? An extra hour. Need that double dose of that Holy Ghost because that was a bad week. Okay. That's the old covenant system. 613 laws. I work for my salvation by working off my sin. Here's how you do that. Ready? Through doing good things. Got to do good things. Or I've got to stop doing bad things. It's called the law of sin and death, according to Paul. That by the law, I just I find within me this other law that keeps me from doing the thing I know I want to do, and I find this nature to do the things over and over again that I don't want to do. It's this law of sin and death in my heart. But, but the old covenant system is a system of works. It's based on your performance. It's not only based on your performance, but it's also based on your payment. You make the payment for your sin. You bring your offering. You bring your sacrifice. That's the system. It's a you-centered righteousness. It's a you-centered works system. You appeal to God. You appease him. You make him happy. You earn his love and his favor and his grace. It's a covenant of works. And God says into that system, here's the key word, I. This is no longer going to be about you. And your ability to work for me, work off your sin, provide some sacrifice, some payment. No, I am going to forgive your sins. I'm going to show you mercy. Maybe go, I know God gives mercy, but maybe you feel like someone whose life is so far from God. Your thought is, God's mercy could never extend this far. That's what all of us say when we see who we really are. And that's why the gospel is such good news. The Bible says this, that where your sin abounds, grace abounds even more. His mercy, as much as you are sinful, God's like, that's cute. Check out how merciful I am. Where your sin abounds. Now, I love that the Bible's like, your sin does abound. <laughs> your sin does abound. And, and, and the Bible doesn't sugarcoat the pain and the detriment and the negative effects of sowing in sin and what that reaps. But where sin abounds in the new covenant, grace abounds much more. He gives mercy and he gives forgiveness. Your lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Through Jesus, it's a whole new way to relate to God on the basis of your sin. It's no longer on your performance. The hope and confidence of your standing before God has nothing to do with what you do, but everything to do with what Jesus did. Everything, everything. Not some things, not Jesus plus you equals salvation. Not Jesus plus stop doing that thing, but Jesus alone. In Latin, you know what the phrase is? Solus Christus. Christ alone. Who of us are going to stand before God and boast in our performance? None of us. How can we boldly stand before a holy God as sinful people only through Jesus and the new covenant? Now, here... You might go, well, what does that even mean? Forgiveness, Jesus, new covenant, contrasted with the old. By the way, like, if you're interested in this, um, a great book on this is the book of Hebrews. Like, what we're reading, just read the whole thing. It's all about how Jesus brings a better covenant. Uh, here's what Hebrews 10 says. For by the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of things, the old covenant system, it's a system of works. It can't lead to rest. Why? 
because it can never, with the same sacrifices, which they have to offer every year, here's your payment for sin, it can never, um, with the same sacrifices, make those who approach perfect. Why? For then why would they have ceased, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? Like, if your sacrifice does the trick, like if you're two weeks of not doing that sin or whatever, if that does the trick, like, you shouldn't have to not ever do that again. It should have done the trick. You should be forgiven. If that sacrifice that you brought was sufficient to cleanse you and forgive you that payment in the old covenant, then why did you have to offer them every year? That's what he's saying. It's like, for the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But I love this. <laughs> this is so funny. The author's like, if the sacrifice was sufficient to cover your sins, then they wouldn't have to come back each and every year. In fact, it's the opposite. He goes, those sacrifices are just a reminder of their sins. Like, here's my sacrifice again. Year 20, you know? 20 years of sinning, you know? Many more to go. It's, it's not sufficient. It doesn't do the trick. The old covenant system doesn't do what Jesus does. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins, could take them away. God has an Old Testament system that provided a sense of atonement, but there's nothing that can do what God promises to do, which is to remove your sins as far as the east are from the west. Not just for the bad things you did last year, but for all time. Complete forgiveness. It's insufficient. Every priest, so he's like trying to convince these people, like, what are you doing in this old system? Don't you see the faultiness of it? He says, every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. And so many Christians, they're not making sacrifices, but, but so many Christians are on their feet over and over again, repeatedly trying to pay off their sins. Repeatedly trying to be good enough for God. Repeatedly trying to be worthy of his love or whatever that, that looks like in your head. But it just, um, here's the big idea, right? It doesn't work. Works don't work. They, they don't work. Even if you do good things, what, do you, what about all the bad things you've done? You can't erase those on your own. So it's usually at this moment that the next verse, I'm just going to guess, starts with the word but. Yep, see? And this is where Jesus usually shows up as the Marvel Avenger superhero to save the day. But this man, Jesus, notice now we're going from the old system that doesn't work to the new covenant that's sufficient. This man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice, notice this, for sins forever. What an offer. Hey, which of my sins can be forgiven for how long? A year? All of them forever. He offers his own body as the spotless, sinless lamb of God. He who, would, who knew no sin, Jesus, righteousness, became sin on your and my behalf. He became that sacrifice. And I don't want you to notice what he did. He sat down at the right hand of God. Do you see that? He sat down. He doesn't get up every year to make a new sacrifice. Every time you sin, he doesn't have to get back on his feet to forgive you. He's like, you ever had that after a long day? You know that seat? You know what I'm talking about? That couch spot, wherever it is, where it's just like, it's finished. And a lot of times it's like, there's Jesus sitting down, having paid for our sins, and we're up on our feet working, and he's like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, come sit down, you know? Like, come sit down and rest in what I've done. Notice this, for by one offering, here's the Christian life, by one offering, Jesus has, notice this incredible dichotomy, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. 
He's perfected you forever. He's perfected you past, present, and future. Your standing before God is no longer determined by your performance, what you do or what you choose not to do. That's not who you are. That's a faulty, fickle identity. You have been perfected forever because the new covenant is sufficient to forgive you of your sin. The mercy of God is greater than your sin. How many of us know we're still being sanctified? We still got these earth suits on. We're still wrestling with the power of sin. But, but that's not the same thing as knowing that you have been perfected forever. Jesus wants to take us. Listen closely. Here's what he says. Come to me all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. I just want you to hear that call today. If today you're exhausted. If today you feel shame. If today you, all you know about yourself is you're not who you wanted to be. So you actually, you hold back who you really are because you, you afraid, you're afraid that you don't measure up. Can, can I just encourage you to allow the new covenant to call you from work to rest today? We just need, listen, more rest, less work, more just Jesus, thank you. Actually, that is the one thing that we contribute to the equation. Thank you. That's it. I just come with a thank you, Lord. You've done all the work. Amen? The new covenant leads us from work to rest. Write this down. The new covenant, and it, it progresses, it leads us from distance to nearness. That new covenant that forgives us of our sins leads us from work to a place of rest. That place of rest is a place of nearness. nearness. We were in a place of distance. We're now in a place of nearness. There's this great um, Dane Ortland quote from his book, Gentle and Lowly. Some of you guys know this is a true story. I saw Dane Orland at Chipotle on Federal Highway three days ago <laughs> with his family on vacation. I was on the phone with Lynn. True story? Thank you, Lynn. Okay. <laughs> I now have to tell a story. I didn't confirm it was him because I'm totally normal. When I looked up his whole family on social media. I was like, I think that's him. And I, this is weird. I was like, yeah, that's his wife. Like, that's his kids. Um, you do it too. Stop, okay? <laughs> but by the time I confirmed, they were like getting in the car. And I didn't want to be like, hey! You know? <laughs> like, what if he wasn't gentle and lowly? You know what I mean? And he was, anyway, okay. Just kidding. All right. This guy, who's, this guy, Danny, is one of my best friends. He wrote this book, Gentle and Lowly. It's all about the heart of Jesus for sinners and sufferers people. The heart of Jesus for sinners and sufferers. And this is, I wish I could have told him this is one of my favorite quotes of all time. It's so simple, but Dana Ortland says this, God isn't waiting for you to earn his love. He's waiting for you to enjoy it. That shifted some things for some of us today. You know, the new covenant is just a call to come enjoy God. To rest in what he's done for you and then delight in who he is over you. He's not waiting for you to earn his love. He's waiting for you to enjoy it. It's just beautiful. Now, this is what distance to nearness provides for us. The, the, the covenant, this is so important. Lest we think that the new covenant is just a set of truths. The new covenant is an invitation into an experience. Okay? The new covenant isn't something to know. It's something to experience. And this is hard for a lot of us who are just kind of theological eggheads, and all we know of God is information. And what God has for us is experience. 
like start to create a framework this year for what it looks like for you to experience the theology you know. This is what Jesus has come to give us. Notice this new covenant promise, I will be their God and they will be my people. Do you see that personal, possessive language? I am my beloved's, my beloved is mine, I am theirs, and they are mine. It's one thing to say, like, he is God. It's another thing to say, like, David, my God, my God, to know him intimately, to walk with him, to move from distance to nearness. I love what Hebrews 8, 11 says, none of them in the new covenant this covenant of grace, no one will have to tell you, hey, know the Lord, know the Lord. Or, or, or even a brother, know the Lord. Because through Christ, you know him, you have him. He's yours. Accessibility is the idea here. This is what the new covenant produces. It, we, we move from distance to nearness. See, the old covenant was marked by distance. The holy place, certain men at certain times of year could access that place, to have nearness to God. You could be as near to God as you were righteous in the old covenant. Now, the same is true in the new covenant, right? But the righteousness thing is taken care of through Jesus, amen? So you are as near to God as you are righteous. Well, how righteous is Jesus? Because that's how righteous you are. And then nearness calls us close. In the old covenant, there's distance. Only certain, you, had to, you actually had to know God through a priest. Does that stink? Is it sad that some churches still run that way? I'm not going to rant on that, but. Wouldn't it, held back. Wouldn't it stink if you had to know God through me, the leader of the spiritual group? I don't see that. From the least to the greatest, any of you, even those of you who feel like, ah, not, I don't really know God like I know. You, you are in that statement, you are denying the new covenant. You're in Christ. He's your God. You're his. You get to know him. He's yours. You have direct access to him. There is, there is a mediator between God and man. His name's Jesus. And he's provided the way for you to know God intimately and personally. Check out what Hebrews, Hebrews goes on to say. This has been a, a, you know, a study on the book of Hebrews today. But Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way, not an old dead way, but a new and living way which Jesus consecrated for us through the veil. I love the poetry here. Not the literal veil that was torn in two from top to bottom, but the veil of his flesh that was torn in two for you to access the presence of God. We have a high priest over the house of God. He, he, therefore, like this is where Hebrews leads up to. In light of all these truths, don't just know them, but experience the new covenant. You see this. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, not fully assured of, of the fact that I'm worthy of God's love, but fully assured of what Christ has done. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience that haunts us, our bodies washed with pure water. The cleansing work of the blood of Christ, we're called to draw near. I've got a couple more promises here, then we'll, we'll wrap up. This is eternal life. Here's what Jesus said. Eternal life is not living forever somewhere. Okay, that sounds boring to me, to be honest. Like, you live forever. It's like, where? Is it all right? Is there... You know, is there a good bike trail? You know, like. <laughs> heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. This is eternal life that you know Jesus, that you know God and his only son, Jesus who, whom you've sent. This is what we're inviting people into. 
Heaven isn't a place. Heaven's a person. Your eternal life doesn't begin the day you die. It begins the day you come to Christ. You get to know him. Eternity is getting to know all the greatness of him forever together for his glory, where a good day gets better and better and better forever. This is eternal life. Now, here in the meantime, how can I live in nearness? Can you write these two things down, take these with you, put them in your pocket for the week? Proximity and presence. Can I just give these two words to you this week as you think about nearness to God? You think about the fact that, okay, like I was a, I was a youth pastor for a handful of years, and we do youth camp every year, you know? And one of the questions we would, on the bus, we'd ask the kids, like, what do you want to get out of camp this, this week? And every kid was just kind of like, oh, I gotta, we'd do the bus microphone on the way up there, and they would, this is their favorite part of camp, right? Is like, what do you want to get out of camp? And every kid would say, 95, there's like the, the 5% kids that were actually like walking with Jesus, but like 95% of them would say the same thing. They'd say, I, wanna, I just want to get closer to God. So what about you? I just want to get closer to God. Closer, closer, closer. And a lot of us, we have the same kind of high school youth group mindset with God. We're like, I got to get closer. I got to get closer. I got to get closer. You cannot be any closer to God than you are in Christ. You cannot be. He is with you. Now, are we called to draw near to him and access that nearness? Yeah, but there's no path of performance that gets you closer Jesus did it all. He, he made a whole new way. What we got to do is, is access him. And how do we do that with proximity and presence? Like two simple things to think about. Number one, if I want to access God and be near to him, I just need to be around where he is. Now, God is, that's, that's hard to think of. It's like, well, where is he? Can you like pin me the GPS? You know? He's on 10th and 12th, actually. No, but God is... Um, omnipresent. We know he's in all places at all times. Where can I go from his presence? But there are times where, this is the words of Jesus, Jesus promises that God can be especially found in a couple places. That if you are in proximity first to his word, his word, you can't be closer to someone than hearing their voice. Are you with me? He's, he's in his word. He magnifies his word above all his name. Anytime God is present, his word is the focus. Not just feeling, oh, I felt God. No, his word. You'll encounter his presence in his word. God has also promised, Jesus says, that your father is, where is he? In secret. He's in the secret place. Put yourself in proximity to God through, through solitude, whatever time and place that is. For those of us who have kids, that's more of a time than a place. It's really more of a battle plan than anything. But, okay. It's like, what, this is the 200th Bluey episode? Oh, whatever. Okay, I gotta go. I got to get into proximity with Jesus. <laughs> I got to be near to him. The best, gift, the best gift that we can give our families is our proximity to Jesus. It's the best gift you can give everyone in your life, your proximity to Jesus. Um, he's found also, the Bible says that if two or more are gathered in his name, you could find him there. Do you guys sense Jesus here this morning? I'm not talking about some weird, just mystical way. I'm talking about in a confident way that he, we know he promises his word and his presence in the gathering of his people. Be in those places. Be in those places. That third place, be there at 10 a.m. On the dot. Every Sunday morning. He's especially found at 10 a.m., not 10.02, okay? <laughs> Lastly is, is presence. 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 So 
How many of us know there's a difference between being in proximity and actually being present? Right? Like some of you guys are like, you're here, but you're not here. Hi. <laughs> Welcome back. All right? Presence, we, we know what that's like in a world of distraction. And so we, we want to do our best to put ourselves around where God promised he can be especially found. But we want, we want to, the point is to access where he promises he is. And here's the good news of this, too. Like, I think Nehemiah is a great example of this. He's, he draws near to the Lord in a difficult situation where he just lifts his attention and he makes himself present to God. Like, there's no more holy physical place that you have to go to. Def- you, can, you can encounter the presence of God in your car. For some of us, that's our holy of holies. Well, maybe not, depending on what time of the day it is, right? And we're like, Lord, please cleanse this holy of holies. <laughs> I just cut some people off in this holy of holies, you know? But knowing that he's accessible to you from work to rest, from distance to nearness, I'll invite the band up here for our last one. We're going to close with communion. You'll see it on your seats there. Uh, this is where we have to end is with the new covenant. Lastly, we move from duty to delight. This is, this is what this leads to. When you recognize that the new covenant is a covenant of grace, not a covenant of works, it's no longer based on your performance. It's based on what Jesus has done. He's a better priest than you and I could ever be. He makes a, a single payment once and for all, perfecting forever those who are being sanctified. He's still working out sin in our lives, but our identity and our standing is now according to what he has done. He moves us also from distance to nearness. That gospel is a call to come close and know God, not to know about him and to know the new covenant, but to experience the new covenant. And what this all produces in a heart, what this produces in a life, is a holiness that the law never could. What this produces in a a life is a love for God and people, a love that even extends to enemies in a way that the letter of the law never could. You go from duty, this is what I have to do, to delight. This is what happens when you know God. You, you, you move from I have to do these things to I get to and I want to honor him. His love changes your hearts. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Last thing, I will put my laws in their mind and I will write them on their hearts. The law of God is no longer an external list of ordinances. At the end of the day, it's love for God and people is what Jesus said. And it's woven into our very hearts. It's not a, okay, I got to love people today. I got to love God today. I access the presence of God. Romans 5 says this, that the love of God is poured out in my heart by the Holy Spirit. Here's your task as a Christian. Be loved by God. What happens? You start loving like God. You start to love him back because you you can't be loved by God and not love him back. It's what happens. And and when you're really around the love of God, I'm not talking about religion and church. You could be around Jesus things all the time and have a foreign relationship with the love of God. When you allow his love to be poured out in your hearts, Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God. All of a sudden, it's God who works in me both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's no longer duty, it's delight. It's what the psalmist says in Psalm 40. God, I delight to do your will. It's, it's in my heart now. So, so the, way, the way back to the life God's called me to is not through making my checklist for this week. It's God, here I am. I've been walking with you this long, but here's where I still am. I see what you've done for me on the cross. I see my performance doesn't matter here. Wow. God, I see that 
I have as much access to you as I'm willing to take advantage of. You've made a whole new way for me to come to you, to not just know about you, but to experience you. This God of love that, that says, come here, confess your sins. I'm, I'm faithful and just to forgive you. And I'm changing you, not by law, but by love. By this love. This is what we need. This is where scripture calls us. This is where Jesus calls us. The Holy Spirit's poured out on us to do this. Man, I wish I had more time to talk about the new covenant and the Holy Spirit. I'll just say, you have all of him. In the old covenant, some people, some of the time. New covenant, all people, without measure. Jesus, on that night in which he was betrayed, as you have your elements there, I'm going to read this to you. He gives a meal. Let me say this. This is for followers of Jesus, those of us who are in Christ, who have placed our identity in the work of the cross. If you're new here today and you're not a Christian, Scripture would dissuade you from partaking in this meal. And what we would encourage you to do during this time is open up your heart to the love of God in Christ. There's a little prayer here in your bulletin. It just says a prayer of faith and repentance. You can connect with God through that prayer in this time. But for the rest of us, those of us who are in Christ, let's look at Jesus here in Mark 14. As they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed it and broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, take, eat. I'm going to read the whole thing. This is my body. Blessed it, broke it. He said, this is my body. As Paul says, broken for you. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is the blood of my new covenant, which is shed for 